And then there's the last 10K where, for me personally, at least, I'm running like a penguin who left the oven on. Just it's all desperation, like arms a flailing. Who left the oven on? Yeah, just you know, dying, trying to no grace and all desperation to get to the finish line. You know, but that's where the, the crowds... That's, that's going to be the title of the podcast, by the way. Like a penguin who left the oven on. That's, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> give, give the people what they want. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks for listening. Uh, Today is something a little bit different. It's kind of a combination race report from the Chicago Marathon um, and an interview with with a a local runner, Patrick Ollinger, uh, who does a lot of training with ITL coaching and performance. Um, he and I got together a little bit earlier today, and we talked about the races that we had at uh, at Chicago Marathon. Uh, and you'll hear a little bit more about those races throughout the courses of the conversation. Um, he and I trained a lot together. We did a lot of long runs together, uh, and we did a lot of workouts together in the uh, the months and the weeks leading up to the Chicago Marathon. Uh, and we ultimately had very different experiences there. Um, he's a thoughtful guy. Uh, he's been a runner for, for a while, as you're going to hear him say. Um, and so he... Um, Shared, came on the podcast and shared a little bit about what he's processing uh, with regards to the race. And as he's uh, continuing to, to learn from his race and reflect on his race, um, what he's taken from it. And then, of course, he helps me through the, the process of processing my race um, and what I can take away from it. So without further ado, uh, let's listen to the conversation, um, the lengthy conversation that I got to have with uh, Patrick Ollinger about the Chicago Marathon. All right, so here we are with uh, my friend and training partner, Patrick Ollinger. Um, Patrick and I ran a lot together, both workouts and long runs over the course of the past year, getting ready for the Chicago Marathon. He had a great race in Chicago, so Patrick, welcome. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you ran in college, and you describe yourself as a running nerd, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I would say, you know, for an introduction, uh, I started running when I was in high school. I ran in college, ran mile, 5K, 10K. Then after college, decided to transition to the half marathon and marathon, and for roughly half my life, I've just been kind of an overall running nerd and sports nerd and love talking to people and hearing people's stories about running and about training and what goals they're trying to reach and things of that nature. Right so on. I'm looking forward to this. Right on, man. I'm glad you're here. So I was, I've told a couple of people that I feel like Patrick and I, before the race, said, hey, a good way to kind of do the this, this race report will be, why don't you come on and we'll both kind of talk about our races and then... It ends up being better because you ended up having a really good race, and I ended up having not so good race, and so 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 it can kind of provide that was some... unplanned, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I, I I didn't sacrifice my race for the quality of the podcast, definitely, but uh, but uh, but yeah, it'll uh, uh, kind of make for a point of contrast. So I guess the start by by well, and I'll say this too. Um, it, 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 uh, and my wife and I have joked about this a few times. We were joking about it right before before you got here, Patrick. Patrick is a is a straight up runner. Patrick's a pure runner, um, which is great. Which which I would like to be again. Um, but Patrick doesn't do a lot of cross training and and has never dabbled in triathlons and has 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 no desire to. And nope. uh, <laughs> so I was I was I was joking with uh, somebody recently or talking to somebody recently at a triathlon. And they're like, Patrick runs so much. I was like. He's a runner. That's yeah. what runners do. They're like, the day after a run, he runs again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's what runners do. Um, but anyway, so check us off, Patrick. Tell us a little bit about the last year and 
yeah. and all that sort of thing. You did Boston. Yeah, so I would say for the, the year of 2017, um, so I ran Boston in the spring, and I ran Chicago you know, about a week or so ago. And that's the general... You ran, you ran Chicago last year, too. Correct. In 2016, yeah, okay. Correct. Um, and that and, was a PR. That was a good race for you. Yes. Yeah. And I would say last year was the first year I successfully pulled off the spring marathon followed by fall marathon kind of duo for the okay. year. And I found that's a good cadence... To, you know, give you four or five months to build up. Was that was that Boston, Chicago as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I've done Boston every year since the bombing, or the year after the bombing, I should okay. say. Um, so the real theme for this year was essentially just to become a better, more serious runner again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ran in college and was pretty burned out and took off about four years or so. Mm-hmm. And then after you know after a couple of years, I was like you know, I think I like to do this again. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of enjoyed it. So the first couple of years, the goal was just to enjoy running again. Mm-hmm. So my theme was, if I want to run, I'll run. If I don't want to run, guess what? I won't run. And I'll only do the types of runs I enjoy. And that's like 2014, 2015, right around then? Correct, yeah. correct. And then this year, I kind of made the decision. I was like, you know, I think I could be pretty good at this again. So mm-hmm. let's let's uh, increase the intensity. Let's kind of take a bit more of an academic, competitive approach. And then we'll see what happens. Right. So, And then where that really plays into training is in that meant. Instead of running three days a week or two days a week, all right, let's make it six, seven runs a week. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's start to take the mindset of a competitive athlete again. And it meant that you started thinking about. It meant that you started thinking about. Okay, how does this run fit into a, a, a bigger plan that will ultimately have me peaking at the right time and all that sort of thing too? Probably right. Correct. Yeah, yeah it became it became much more about. All right, I want to hit the you know this number of long runs. I want to have tempo runs, interval runs. I want to build up my aerobic base. I want to hit these goals as opposed to just saying. Well, I like running at Stone Mountain, so I'll run at Stone Mountain on Fridays because right. it's fun to run after work. So, yeah, it was a very different. Went from being a recreational runner to being a competitive runner again, and it's it's been a lot of fun to kind of get back into that mindset. Mm-hmm. And you've had and you've had, I mean, you've had a good year. So, so you ran you ran Boston back in April, mm-hmm. and then that was was that your fastest Boston? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't PR, but Boston's not really a PR course, so. Yeah. Uh, and it was hot that day too, right? Yeah, it was, I think, 76 at the start. Oh, um, at the start. Geez. Yeah. And, yeah, I remember I actually got sunburned during the race. I mean, how many times does that happen where you get sunburned <laughs> at, you know, during a marathon race? My right. goodness. Um, so, yeah, I haven't had a race under, you know, 70-something degrees in a couple of years outside of maybe, I think, Chicago was high 60s last year. But mm-hmm. we'll see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, and kind of like similar to you in a way because – y- you spent most of 2016 just trying to recover from injury and right. to kind of get back right. into it. And then after the New York, it seems like that's when you had, could change your mindset and say, okay, let's be aggressive. Let's see what we can do here. Yeah, totally. Yeah, for me, I, um, I, I, so I finished New York, and I, and, I, and I met my goal in New York, and I said, all right, well, 2017, let, let's, let's try and run fast. Yeah. Um, and so, so let, let's go to Chicago. And I I'd never run Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, let's go to Chicago. Let's try and, and run a few minutes faster. Let's try and get that that elusive, weird PR um, for 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 a marathon, um, and and try and do that. And so so I set up all of 2017 kind of with that in mind. I, I started off the year by running shorter races. I I picked out my my target for the first part of the year was the Marine Corps Historic Half, which is mm-hmm. kind of like the half marathon version of the Marine Corps Marathon. Mm-hmm. And that was in May, um, and. Uh, uh, and, and yeah, I ran a lot of short things. I ran, I ran like a lot of hill repeats, like short, fast, hard hill repeats in the first six months of the year and things like that. Um, and, uh, and, and 
you know, workouts around the track or, you know, quarters and 600s and, and stuff like that. A lot of things at mile pace. Uh, and then ran really well in that in that historic half and then said, all right, well, now it's time to switch the focus to, to Chicago. Uh, and right as I was switching that focus to Chicago, my old injuries started bothering me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and so, so it was super frustrating because I felt like my injuries had gotten so much better training for, like literally while training for New York, my injuries had gotten better. And then they continued to get better all throughout the first half of, of 2017. And then right as I'm like, all right, here we go. Big push, Chicago. Let's go fast. Let's get that PR. Then my injuries resurface, and they resurface fiercely, um, mm-hmm. such that like by mid July, um, I, I had to come to the realization that wow, I got to cut my running all the way back to three days a week. Um, and so, um, a lot of cross training, a lot of cycling, and that sort of thing. So, um, meanwhile, you were you were on you were on the, the upswing at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I, so I would say the, the big one of the big takeaways for me this training cycle was I could put in the high mileage and recover much quicker than what I remembered from high school and college. Right on. So first of all, I think my last year in college, I was like 21. Mm-hmm. And so I still, I mean, I weighed 117 pounds. I was still, <laughs> yeah, I was a real... Uh, and Patrick, for those of you who don't know Patrick, Patrick is not a short guy. <laughs> yeah. Patrick's taller than I am. What are you, like 6'2"? Yeah, something like that. Um, And where that really came into effect was, honestly, I was still a child in many ways physically. And so the recovery was just never there. We'd go for a 10, 12-mile tempo run in college, and I'd just be dead. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the year, I would always just feel so beat up and so burned out. And this was the first training cycle where I could hit that you know, 70 miles a week or so Mm -hmm. and still feel like a spring chicken, go home, cut the grass, do whatever yard work I need to do, and just feel fine. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's the difference between being older and kind of being in your prime physically mm-hmm. versus, you know, still being almost adolescent. Yeah. How old are you now? So, just turned 30. Just turned 30. That's right. Yeah. You turned 30 the last week. Happy birthday, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you turned turn 30. The, this, the Chicago Marathon was the last weekend in your 20s. That's correct. So, yeah. I just missed that age group jump, although I don't, I'm not sure it would have made a difference in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, a lot of fast people there, so mm-hmm. yeah, very good. Um, but yeah, and then contrast that with me, I'm 43. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, I say that out loud and I'm like, holy crap, I'm more than halfway through the over 40 age group now, the 40 to 44 age group. Um, but, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and yeah, I think that, that, that I definitely felt when I, when I was running at age 24 and 25, I definitely felt that stronger. Like I was more yes. of an adult. Yes. Like, and, and, and so I appreciate what you said about like being the difference between a kid at 21 Yes. Still at 20. I mean, still your senior year in college, you're still kind of a kid. And then at like 23, 24, suddenly I was so much stronger. Uh, and I think that was that, that I was I was growing up. But then for a variety of reasons, you know, I took all these different paths throughout my 20s and then didn't really come back to solely running until after I was 40, which has been cool, actually, because, you know, you get to come back as a master and mm-hmm. suddenly you get to compete for age group stuff again, which is awesome. But anyway, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, so Patrick and I did... A whole bunch of long runs. Um, I mean, we were doing two-hour runs in the first half of the year, mm-hmm. um, which was good. I mean, so um, uh, and we did we did some a lot of eighteen-mile runs really in the first first half of the year. Um, so several several months out, and then we started doing all the real um, marathon-specific stuff in the last twelve weeks. And so you were doing you said up to like seventy miles a week, and then I was I got to where I was swimming on Mondays. Riding my bike on Tuesdays, doing a hard workout on Tuesdays, then um, doing a run on Wednesday, um, uh, and some strength work on Wednesday. 
Ride my bike again on Thursday. On Fridays, when you and I would get together and do, and we we, we a few times did some marathon specific workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, there were sort of like longer workouts, not as intense, but but working on our stamina and, and that sort of thing. And then Saturday, I was doing. I got to where I was doing two and a half to three hour bike workouts, like hard workouts on Saturday, and then coming back on Sunday, and we did, we did long runs on Sunday. Um, so I, I I got three runs a week. I was doing was a post strength run on Wednesday, a marathon specific workout on Friday, and a long run on Sunday. Um, and so that was kind of the bare minimum effort I could do. And then I didn't run any tune-up races either, yeah. which in retrospect, I think was, was a big problem because I just didn't have a real clear sense of exactly where I was. Um, mm-hmm. and because I just didn't feel like I had the space. Um, mm-hmm. but, but so I had this kind of compromise bill, but yours was, I mean, going well. Yeah. And to kind of contrast our two, the real key to marathon training is consistency, yeah. right? I always tell, you know, fellow runners, like we're index investors, you're not penny stock investors. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that your, your biggest friend as a, as a runner is time. Yeah. You know, we like to say, all right, I'm doing this training cycle. I have 16-week buildup. But your fitness happens at the cellular level. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about switches and wires you know, beneath the skin here that are you know, tiny and take years to build up. Mm-hmm. It takes years to, to build an aerobic base. Mm-hmm. So really, when we talk about 16-week training cycles or 14-week training cycles, that's how we have to break it up because that's when our race is coming. Mm-hmm. But when you look at overall fitness, it's not about, oh, I hit this number of long runs or I hit this number of tempo runs mm-hmm. or... I did these marathon-specific workouts. It's about what kind of mileage were you putting in the past year? Yeah. And what were you doing consistently? Yeah. Um, you know, that's where injuries really start to take their toll is if yeah. you have two years, 2016 and summer 2017, mm-hmm. where you're having to run three days a week or take off time here or take off time there, that starts to build up and add up. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, if, if so, so if I think about, I mean, even if I just think about this the last few months, if I take, think about the last six months, if if I had been, well, let's say if I was totally 100% healthy and totally 100% runner, I would be running uh, mm-hmm. six to eight times a week. Yeah. All right. And then if I was, if, if I was sort of as healthy as I could be or as healthy as I was in the last few weeks there ahead of New York, I'd be running five times a week. Mm-hmm. Instead, I was running three times a week. And so, you know, if if you take the last 15 weeks... I missed at least two runs, so that's thirty runs. Just thirty straight up runs, just gone. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I was replacing it with other things. And and I think we can we can have a, a side conversation about about the efficacy of cross training. But I mean, that was that was um, thirty runs I didn't get. Um, and then had I been able just to run straight up, like that was seventy five runs. Yeah, I didn't do over the course of this build. Um, had the you know relative to what you were doing or, or relative to what I would be doing ideally if I if I had absolutely no issues. Yeah, um, and, and it's always interesting to talk to people who maybe come from other worlds into running, mm-hmm. and they'll say things like, "Oh, well, running is so boring," or "How do you, don't you, <laughs> you know, don't you just need to run once, or isn't it just an easy run?" They don't realize there's actually so much that goes into yeah. it. You have to build up your aerobic base. That's why you have the long, slow runs. Mm-hmm. You have to build up kind of your glycogen storage and your ability to burn fat and mm-hmm. fuel efficiently. You have to build up your lactic threshold. You mm-hmm. have to build up your ability to, you know, run quickly for sustained mm-hmm. effort. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you got to hit a lot of buckets. I would even argue you really can't hit all of the buckets at once. No, so I, even when you're just running. I totally agree with you on that, and, <laughs> and that's and that's something that that, that I talked about on the the podcast a couple mm-hmm. of podcasts ago. Um, yep. that, that really the only day that you hit all of those buckets to use the word that you use, the only day that you draw on all those things is on race day. Right. Um, and that should be the only day that you do, 
but but pretty much every other thing that you do, uh, every other training session you have, you're hitting one of them or two of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Today you're working on your running economy and your stamina. The next day you're working on your lactate threshold and your endurance. The next day you're working on on uh, your aerobic capacity, whatever it happens to be. It's very rare. The only time you ever hit on all of them is on race day. Um, and I think that that's that's kind of that's something I think that a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their mind around because they 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 want to essentially oh well, I need to get ready to, for a marathon so I need to run long and hard every day uh, right. or at least every week and no that's that's not how it actually works you don't you don't you don't use all of those buckets you don't use all of those systems for every single run you use use them all on race day and that's it yeah. and where it also comes into play is when you're an experienced runner too mm-hmm. you know. I mean, this is just basic physiology, but when you introduce a new stimulus, you see quick improvement, yeah. right? Yeah. Then your body adapts, and you no longer see the same improvement from the same stimulus. You have mm-hmm. to kind of change it up a bit. Oh, yeah. So one you know, approach I've always taken, uh, you know, just in training in general is, well, first of all, I'm just a believer that you can't hit them all, as you said, as we've kind of discussed. So you got to focus, all right, what area is there the lowest hanging fruit? Yeah. Is it my tempo threshold? Mm-hmm. Is it my long run? Is it my you know aerobic endurance? What is it that is really kind of holding me back, you know, in you mm-hmm. know in relation to the other buckets? So at the start of each year, I'll say usually say, all right, what are one or two areas I want to focus on this training cycle, and what's something new I can you know incorporate into training to build up that area? Did you do that this year? Yes. What'd you decide? Uh, so this is a bit of a different one. Um, I really wanted to increase the explosiveness in my stride, mm-hmm. okay. and really wanted to. to uh, increase the ability to generate a lot of power in my stride quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you may say, or you know, some folks may say, well, why would you do that in a marathon? Because mm-hmm. you're not looking to explode out of the gates unless you're crazy. <laughs> I mean, which I didn't do, by the way. Um, I think that would be kind of awesome, though. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's awesome. Maybe I'll dress as Elvis and just take off for the first Dude, half there mile. Were, so, and... so at, at New York, I've, I, I've, I've told you this before. I think at New York, I, w- I happen to be like right on the starting line of the Green Corral. And and there were definitely people who exploded off of that line. That's I mean, fantastic. and and uh, who knows where they ultimately finished the race? It was behind me somewhere. But I mean, but they definitely took off in that first hundred yards, uh, and they're waving off the side of the bridge and everything. And and so yeah, maybe that maybe maybe that had been their goal for the year as well. That work on their explosive speed. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. So um, and the reason I wanted to do that is I ran a five k on the track a couple weeks before Boston, just by myself, just drove mm-hmm. to Lakeside. I was like, well, we'll see what happens. And I could just kind of tell, like, this is an area that's ready to pop. Okay. I can kind of give, I can make minimal changes and see a significant improvement. Yeah. Um, so I started just incorporating weight training. We have mm-hmm. a weight room in the place I work, which is nice because you can just sign up and, you know, go downstairs for 20 minutes. Sign up. Yeah. And then for free. It's kind of nice. Um, so I started so, doing so, that. And let's and that's, and that's, side note on that, Patrick is in typical runner fashion. And runners are very much traditionally this way. Mm-hmm. Patrick has told me many times about how much he hates lifting weights. Yes. So, so, so for him to actually say, hey, I'm going to go lift weights, that's kind of a big deal. Anyway, keep going. Let me tell you also why I hate lifting weights. <laughs> Remember how I said I weighed 117 in college yeah, or whatever? I was going to say, I know why. So we actually had to share the weight room with the football team. Yep. And I can't remember if it was volleyball or softball. But man... Like you get, you oh, go yeah. on the bench press and it's just like oh yeah, I would just and, take off all of these weights. It's so embarrassing. Oh yeah, and then the softball I, players would come over and and add four plates to the to it and then do that as their warm up. Oh yeah, no, totally. I think very much the 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 weight room. It's it's this sort of self perpetuating thing. The weight room for runners is a place of of embarrassment. 
Yeah, uh, very much so. Yeah, and so so still, I mean, I mean, like I, I said on when one of the other podcasts, I, I I literally will be in the LA fitness lifting weights and looking around, and and even more so probably than any certainly more so than anybody's doing to me. Nobody's looking at me being being like, oh look at that little weak guy. Nobody's doing that. Yeah, like, this is not, this is not what people do when they're at the gym. But I am literally looking at other people. Going, well, I could outrun that guy. Well, I could outrun that guy because I'm so, because I'm so self conscious in the weight room, you know. And yeah, anyway, keep going. Yeah, you're kind of like you're telling people like, no, no, this isn't all I do. I do other stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Like every every time you go in there, you want to be wearing like like a marathon shirt or something like that. You know, I want, I want to like tattoo my PRs on my forehead just so everybody knows. But again, I mean, they're just looking at me. They don't care. Yeah. I mean, they're not there. They're not there for me. Yeah. And then kind of on that same note with, with the weight training, the goal is not to create power. It's to create kind of that you know, bit more of explosiveness. So mm-hmm. you're really not wanting to put much weight on there. You're never maxing out. You want your bar speed to remain high. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a lot of things like, all right, if it's the bar and two five-pound weights on the end, then so be it. You know? Which <laughs> it might be. And, yeah. <laughs> not for anyone in this room, of course, but you know. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, so yeah, so anyway, so to increase the explosiveness, I incorporated weight training. I started rowing crew. Um, I just, because that's easy. I mean, that's 10 minutes of two-minute warm-up, three or four 500-meter repeats, two-minute cool down. Yep. Okay. So, I mean, that is as efficient I, I, I a, as a workout as you can have. I had a indoor rowing career. Really? Yeah, I actually did an ergata, an indoor rowing race at Georgia Tech one time. Now, how'd it go for you? Uh, you know, I, uh, well, actually, so I was in the lightweight division. I, that's a big surprise. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so if you're under 165 pounds, you can be in the lightweight division. And I think I finished like third to last in the lightweight division. So I don't even know. But, like, all right, there's my sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, rowing I think is a great thing. And I, I, I didn't realize you had been doing that, so that's good to know. It, it was just something fun to try. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of when I get back to earlier, you, I feel like every training cycle I want to try two or three new things. Yeah. One of them is going to be a flaming disaster, and I'm going to realize, <laughs> oh, that's, this is why I never did this before. Not just a disaster. Um, but then one or two things are going to work out, and I'll say, okay, well, maybe I won't do it this way every time, but at least give me some new ideas for the future. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's and to kind of sidetrack it, but that's the beauty of being an adult runner. Yeah, if, I agree. If you know, if something goes wrong in the 2017 Chicago Marathon, you know, for example. They have the 2018. Yeah, the 2018 yeah. Chicago yeah. Marathon. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that. Now, the one the one caveat I will put to that, I remember I remember my first year out of college or my second year out of college and like like thinking about that very thing. Mm-hmm. Because in college when you're you're a runner, you're like, okay, the ACC championships is coming up and, and you only get four chances to do it. And your freshman sophomore years really don't count because you kinda suck. Yeah. Um, and so, so you know, your junior year and senior, you really get two chances. Yes. That's it. And they won't run. And and I remember coming out and being like, well, you know, if I can do this race this year, I'll do it next year. Hey. Yeah. Now, the one caveat to that I will say is is I have started feeling a little bit more pressure lately as I've gotten older. Like like so, as I've gotten older, I've started to feel more like okay, I still want to do this while I can still compete for the win or compete, you know, or something else like that. Um, and so I have started feeling a little bit of that pressure again. Um, and I'm trying to, actually, this week, literally, I've been trying to wind that down a little bit. I think one of the reasons why I underperformed on race day is because I, I had too much pressure on myself. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. Okay. So, so what what else about about your 
And then last and then last but not least with the increasing explosiveness was hill repeats. Yeah. And once again, a lot of people ask me, well, why would you do hill repeats? You're running Chicago. Mm-hmm. But it's because you're not really training to run hills. Mm-hmm. Run, you know, training to run hills is not like learning how to throw a ball where it's technique. You know, right. it's not like swimming. Right. Um, it's really about what physiological changes are do you right. have or what, you know, physiology do you have? Are you ability right. to generate a lot of force quickly to power your way up the hill right. over and over again? Right. Um, so then that was my way to, that was really the key to kind of increasing that power and increasing that explosiveness in the stride. And, yeah. the, and the reason you want that in general in the marathon is the more, the, the easier it is for your legs to create power, then the easier it is to run at a certain pace. Right. Now that's obviously overgeneralizing it, but you know, yeah. um, that's, that's kind of the general theory there. Well, yeah, it's, it's going to increase your economy. It's going to make you a more efficient runner. But then also, and this is something that I've, I've thought about too. I mean, I've, so I, I wonder... I wonder whether you I spend more time processing. If I would have had a really good race in, in Chicago, would I spend as much time thinking about it as I've thought about it the last week since I had not such a great race? Um, and and one of the many many things I've thought about over the course of the last week um, is is um, the idea of your marathon race pace feeling easy. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's there's a lot of, of, of workouts you do. You can do, if you do, like, mile repeats at 5K to 10K pace, that, that trains certain systems, certain buckets, but at the same time, it also makes your race pace, your marathon pace, feel easy. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one thing that on race day I didn't quite have. My marathon pace never felt easy. Um, and Or my goal marathon pace never felt easy. But even in the workouts that you and I did together when we were running marathon pace, it never felt easy enough. That pace didn't feel relaxed enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's because the workouts I did or just because I flat wasn't running enough. But um, but anyway. And yeah. when did you start to see that? Or when did that start to, like when did that antenna raise? D- during the race? Or just did, did it ever pop up during training where you were thinking, yeah, this so, is so, not so, as easy well, as So during be. training, um, and and... So during, it's so hard to say because because accumulated fatigue is such a huge deal. Yeah. And 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 so, um, but but yeah, there was definitely a few times during training when when I was I was like that was marathon pace and it felt a little bit hard. But see, that's where that's where test races and tune up races can be so worthwhile. Yeah. Like I needed I needed a tune up race. I needed to go in there, do a drop taper, and get in a racing situation and run really hard in order to get a true indication of what I was capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Because because you, you can you can derive what you're capable of doing from your workouts, but like I said before, there's something magical about getting, you know, strapping a number on. I mean you're able to do things with like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I I never wanted to give up the training. And also, in fairness to myself, there weren't a whole lot of races. No, there was like one or two. Yeah, I mean, in, in one of which was like a quarter mile long. We found out, <laughs> yeah, in the which, middle which of the race. you won. Yeah, the yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the Craft Classic Half Marathon, which Patrick won, and where he set a PR on, on a course, despite the fact that it was a quarter mile long, um, it was uh, like that was the only half marathon in not just the Atlanta area, but like in the in the Atlanta metropolitan. I mean, in the southern region of the United States, mm-hmm. yeah. within four to eight weeks prior to to. This. I mean, I, I've already been looking at ones before Boston next year, and there's so many more races, half marathons and 10Ks and that sort of thing, in uh, in, in February, March mm-hmm. of next year that I'm excited about running, um, and that I'll certainly run. So, yeah, I never got into a test race, and so I never totally 
was able to, to have a great deal of confidence in, in my goal pace. Um, and also in fairness, and this is something I think we lose sight of as marathoners, you know, as, you know, just endurance athletes in general, the marathon is not an easy distance. No. And yeah, we, we, we almost forget this sometimes when we talk to, when all of our friends are like, oh yeah, I'm doing the Ironman and then I'm doing the marathon and right. I'm doing this and that. And I go for 20 mile long runs for two months, you know, right. it, it, the marathon is still king. I mean, oh, yeah. in so many ways, when you're running a marathon, you're almost like a lion tamer. And if, you know, <laughs> that sucker's not going to have it today, you might want to step out of the cage and just, you know. Yeah, no, I totally to tell agree. another day because yeah. I mean the human body just wasn't made to run that far. Yeah, I, I was talking to so um, I was talking to somebody recently, um, a fan, um, not not a triathlete, but a fan of triathletes. Uh, I was talking to her about half Ironmans versus marathons, mm-hmm. and I and I said something to the effect of, well, half mar- a marathon is much harder than a much harder and much harder on your body than than a half Ironman, and she looked at me like I was insane. Because, because, simply because a, a half Ironman takes longer, mm-hmm. uh, and it does, um, but but the stress on your body in a marathon is so much higher than it is in a half Ironman, and that's not to take anything away from a half Ironman. Those are those are difficult long races, but but the the amount that your body gets beaten up if you are truly racing a marathon uh, is is profound, um, and I would even put it higher than than an Ironman, um, mm-hmm. an Ironman run is is just that it's not a marathon race it's a 26.2 mile run and and it's super hard because it comes after 112 miles of biking and 2.4 miles of swimming um Mm -hmm. but i and patrick patrick hasn't done it but um but he he may or may not agree with me but 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 i i very much feel like like running a marathon racing a marathon is is much harder on your body and takes more to to recover from than than an ironman um Mm -hmm. and i've done five ironmans and i've done them hard so, um, but anyway, by all means, if you disagree with me, and uh, respond on the Facebook page or send me an email <laughs> or something like that, and we'll talk about you in the next one. But Ed uh, towards Darden, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't blame Patrick. For, yeah, the, the opinions expressed by George yeah. Darden or George yeah. Darden's alone. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So anyway, um, now how many marathons is this for you? That's the funny thing about it. I was talking to somebody in the in the elevator at, at Chicago, and they're like, "Well, how long have you been a runner?" I was like, "I've been a runner for twenty five years." They're like, "Oh, so you've done a lot of these?" And I was like. No, um, this is yeah. only my fifth standalone marathon. Okay, um, and so I've done I've done five five Ironmans, and now I've done five five marathons. Um, I did I did one that I literally jumped in the Marine Corps marathon when I was in my first year out of college, and that's still my dang PR, which is just so annoying to me. Um, <laughs> and uh, and 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 then a few years later, somebody says, "Hey," when I was living in New England, "Hey, do you want to you want you should try and run the Boston marathon." Uh, and I was like, well, I don't have qualifying time. And they said, well, you can. You can just go out and get one. This is in 2000 or 1999-2000, which testament to how different it is today, to the Boston Marathon. Yeah. Somebody says this to me, said this to me in December. And I said, oh, okay. I went out in February, ran a marathon to get a qualifying time, signed up like March 1st, and then raced it on April 15th or whatever the date was, so six weeks later. And so that was marathon number two, number three. And then New York last year was number four, and then this Chicago was number five. All right, so um, let me ask you, how comfortable do you feel towing the line of a marathon? And what I mean by that is, yeah. when you so you obviously were a very competitive runner in high school and college. By the time it, at least, I would say your junior, senior year in high school, I'm sure you towed the starting line of the, of the state meet, and you're like, okay, I know what I'm in for. Right. I know it's going to hurt. I know how it's going to hurt. 
I know what can possibly come up, but I got this. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I feel like it's it's so so. I, I think there's a there's a general way to answer that, and then there's a very specific way to answer that. The general way is to say that that when I'm standing on the on the starting line of a marathon, generally speaking, like last year in New York, I felt fairly confident. I mean, and, and it's like any any other race in the sense that if you've trained well and you've raced well and you've prepared and and you're healthy and everything else, you can stand there and you can feel pretty confident. Standing on the starting line at New, at Chicago, I didn't feel super confident. Yeah. Um, and and that was in part, I mean, that was sort of everything. That was in part because I hadn't run that tune-up race. I didn't mm-hmm. have that confidence. Uh, I knew my training had been compromised, or at least had been different. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, you know, I'd relied so much more heavily on cycling, and I had had some good workouts. You know, you and I had some good workouts together, um, but but I wasn't totally certain of what I was capable of. And then my last two weeks before the marathon, I got a stomach virus. I had a little bit of a cold that day uh, on race day. And then, like, the night before, I hadn't really slept all that well. And then the morning of, like, something was wrong with my body. I went to the bathroom over and over and over again. And we were standing on the starting line. I had already gone to the bathroom three times, and I had to go again. And I was like, I was like, something's not right. And I'm not going to go too much into the details of that because, you know, this is a family show. But, but... <laughs> Entertainment uh, value is really high there. That's right. Um, but, but I... Uh, yeah, I had to stop at the 10K point and use the bathroom again. Yeah. Um, uh, four times that morning, I had to use the bathroom. And not like like just a little bit, but I mean you, I mean, taking advantage of the facilities. Um, you know. And uh, yeah, so something was clearly wrong with me that day. So, so compromise build, bad taper, bad day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah. I'm sensing a pattern here. Yeah, yeah. And so, so you put all those together and what happens? Well, you miss your goal by... 15 percent mm-hmm. you know and and so so yeah that 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 ended up you know that, that was too much to overcome um for me which is you know frustrating but mm-hmm. kind of you know it happens uh yesterday was kona mm-hmm. jan Ferdino, uh who uh, did you have you seen anything from kona i know it exists and i know, <laughs> I, know and I know chris nasser's going uh after what that a great answer uh i mean babe ruth could have won yesterday <laughs> Well, Babe Ruth did not win. A guy okay. named Patrick Lang won. That's a good um, name. So, so yeah. And, and he, so Patrick Lang actually was brilliant. Patrick Lang set the run course record last year. Um, so a great runner. And then got off the bike like tenth or something, and literally was not even in the conversation until the halfway point of the run. And people, and and suddenly they were like, "Hey, Patrick Lang is moving up pretty well." And then he ends up setting a course record, um, like for the whole race, not just for the run course. Um, and his, ironically enough, his run course record was actually broken yesterday by the guy who finished third. But uh, anyway, it's clearly a great day in Kona. But um, what was I going to say about it? Oh, but the defending champion, Jan Ferdino, is third third guy out of the water, mm-hmm. like fourth guy off the bike, and is walking within the first two miles of the run. Yes. And to his credit, okay. he, he ended up doing like a four-hour marathon. To his credit, he's like, I'm finishing, um, as opposed to just flat dropping out. I mean, which is... This is an Olympian. This is, you know, uh, an ITU world champion. This is got not a guy who had anything to prove. Um, and, and he goes out there and he, he walks and runs through the marathon and uh, finishes like 50th pro or something, like 35th pro. Um, and uh, so he had a bad day. I mean, it happens. Yeah. You know, so. And that's one big difference between training for a 5K or 10K, you know, the kind of training you do with like high school, college, right. et cetera, where you're on the track and marathon running. So, like, just kind of give people some perspective. If you kind of have that background of running in high school, college, etc., 
a lot of the workouts are, all right, we know you want to run, we'll just say 10 flat in the two mile. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do 16 400s at exactly that pace. Mm-hmm. So 75s. Not mm-hmm. 76, not 74, but 75. Mm-hmm. And you just clock away those 400s over and over and over again. It is just ingrained in your system. And there's very little variability in the races, right? Like a bad race there is like a 10-10 instead of a 10 flat. Right. You know, no one really just blows up right. in that race. But a marathon... There's so many more things that can go wrong. Because in a 5K or so, you have like one or two inhibitors, right, that could Mm -hmm. go wrong. You could, you know, um, have your aerobic capacity not quite be where it needs to be. But with those longer marathons, I mean, anything can go wrong. You can nail the glycogen storage. You can do great, you know, with your goose, with your rest, with your taper. And then you'll get a blister or a cramp or have something like that go wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, So all that is to kind of say, to your point, it can happen to anybody. And it has happened to even the best. I mean, was it, was it Shailene Flanagan in the Los Angeles Marathon about during, a year ago? Uh, no, it was it was during the trials. The trials, yes, yeah. it, which was in Los Angeles. Okay, there we yeah, go. Yeah, Shailene Flanagan def- definitely struggled that day, but she, I mean, she was able to gather it together and still qualify barely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she she regrouped and ran well in the Olympics. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And it's it's I mean, and, and it's yeah, you mentioned the difference between like a five k and and having a bad race in five k and a bad race in a marathon. So so I missed my goal by, and I was just doing the. On, on the calculator here, I, I missed my goal by 13%. If you're looking to run a 16-minute 5K and you miss your goal by 13%, you miss it by two minutes. Now, two minutes in in a 5K is like a different area code. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I mean, so 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 that that's a big difference there. But but you're talking about okay, you're gonna have to struggle and hang on for an extra two minutes, and you're still gonna be pretty much recovered within two or three days mm-hmm. uh, entirely. Whereas I went out and ran today. And I'm still hurting, <laughs> and my and my quads are still banged up, and I'm still like, oh god, this does not feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have a good race, and so it's it's kind of, I mean, the name of this podcast is the most pleasant exhaustion, and and you know that's that's the reference to to Emil Zadopek talking about the finish line uh, at the 1952 Helsinki Marathon where he won his third gold medal of those games, and they said, how you feeling? He says, I was exhausted, but it's the most pleasant exhaustion I've ever felt. And and I and I love that idea that yeah you're exhausted but but there's so much pride and so much so much uh, happiness and so much satisfaction in yes. that you know and and like whatever I feel and I felt certainly at the end of the race and I'm still kind of feeling the remnants of now it's it's not the opposite of that because you're still exhausted but it's, it's just like the most pleasant part is not there yeah so it's a lot more <laughs> exhausted and a lot less pleasant yeah, yeah and, it's, and it's like and it's it's like and, and, and instead, and it's not like they, they, they it's, it's not like they get replaced by just flatness. They get replaced by their inverse. And so, rather than pride in what you've just accomplished, you're embarrassed. And then rather than yeah. than satisfaction, you're frustrated. You know. Um, and so it's it's really, and and you're still exhausted. You yeah. Know? And and, and it's still, it takes you a month to recover. And so so yeah, it's super, um, it's super frustrating to have a bad marathon. Yeah, and that's that's something to talk about too, because I mean we've all had them. Yeah, you know, I mean they're too, and, I, and we'll have them again. Um, but how do you recover from a bad marathon? Because in so many ways, it's so heartbreaking. I mean, it almost yeah. feels like a breakup or something. Because you have this dream, you have this vision, oh, yeah. this passion project, yeah. and it's the end is so final. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's not like other sports where all right, if your football team has a bad game week one, all right, we're gonna get back at it. Right. We have next Sunday, next Saturday. Right. The marathon, it's like, well, 
Right. I guess I'll run another one in six more months. So we could, it, you know, and even <laughs> exactly. then that's a quick turnaround, yeah. and that's after another dozen or so well, long yeah. runs. Yeah, it's, no, totally. I mean, you you blow it in your five k. Like mm-hmm. something happens in your five k, you wait a week and you run a next one. You run another one the following weekend. Yeah, and, and then you hit your goal. Yeah, I mean, and so so um, so yeah, I like what you say about okay. I guess I'll try another one in six months. Yeah, you know, I mean, and and so you do. There's such a higher degree of processing that goes on mm-hmm. at the end because you because you kind of I mean you, you can't help but try and figure it out you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, what are some things you've done this week maybe that have helped you out? Okay, so so, and I'm not going to talk too much about this, mm-hmm. but but my wife within about two hours of of the race started saying and, okay, and she was an endurance athlete herself. Yeah, so yeah, she she's she accomplished endurance athlete. Yeah, and certainly understands training for a goal and and everything else. And so, um, and and doing the big stuff, she she gets up more than me. Um, and so she and she also uh, recognizes how important all this is. That you know, whenever people talk about like, oh, running's your hobby. Well, yeah, but it's right. There's you know, it's more than just a side thing. But anyway, it's so. a little bit like when I had a doctor ask me if I exercise. I'm like, well, okay, that's not <laughs> yeah. quite. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, I exercise. Yeah, a little. Yeah, I do some but, water but, but, but there's there's something about it that's more fundamental to who you are, who we are, than mm-hmm. than just kind of, oh yeah, I'm, I I run some. Um, and so so she recognizes that. So within a couple of hours, she started encouraging me to say, okay. Why don't you think about doing some sort of bounce back? Why don't you think about about picking some other goal four six weeks out, um, and and trying to to cash in on this fitness that you built, um, and and all this work that you did in a more satisfying way, um, and uh, and so I'm I'm still kind of considering that, um, and so this week this week I actually did more active recovery than I normally would do. I normally would just be like, all right, I'm taking you know six days off completely, not doing anything, and trying to sleep as late as I can, and eating all the garbage I possibly can find. Um, and I still have been not eating very well this week, but um, but uh, uh, but I've done more active recovery. I swam, I rode my bike a couple of times, and then I went running today. Um, and so I'm still kind of trying to consider it. But like I said, one of the things. So speaking of takeaways, I'm not going to talk about it all that much because I, I do think that. Um, I do think I, there was there was a, a fairly high degree of pressure mm-hmm. that I put on myself for this race, and that was largely because I had, I had made my goals fairly public, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, if 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 I bounce back, if I do a bounce back race, I want it to. It's kind of like a rebound relationship, you know, <laughs> that 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 you had back in the day, where where whoever the rebound relationship is. This girl had whatever your girlfriend didn't have, you know, <laughs> and she doesn't have anything else. But like, that's the thing that, that to me, that it's defines three weeks a later. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's like you know. Well, this other girl, you know, never never told me how much she liked me, and all this rebound does is tell me how much she likes me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like oh, she's the best girl. Well, no, she's just the rebound because she's giving you the one thing that you really really needed. Um, and so so when I'm thinking about you know the bounce back, the rebound race, if you will, I'm trying to think of a race that's much different. Mm-hmm. Um, that will still be satisfying to me, but but will be much, will be much much different. And one of the things that will be different is that the time won't matter as much, and I won't be as fixated on that, and there and I won't be putting as much performance pressure on myself to do. Um, and that it may be helpful because I just I'm a big believer that it takes at least five or six marathons to know what you're doing. Yeah, um, I think so too. It, it 
it's just it's a different animal. It doesn't look or feel like practice. Mm-hmm. It's not. You're gonna have moment. You're gonna have at least. You have to have at least one where things don't go right, mm-hmm. and you say, okay, well, why why didn't it go right? Mm-hmm. What mistakes did I make? What are things that are outside of my control? You know, and you just start to get that awareness of, you know, what does this even look or feel like? Because it is very different than the five Ks yeah. and ten Ks we were ingrained with from oh, yeah. age fifteen on or so. Well, so, but here's the interesting thing about, and I totally agree with you, but here's the interesting thing about that to me, is that when I'm thinking about, and maybe this is, maybe I'm wrong about this, and so if I am, how many have you done now? Uh, seven. Okay, seven. So, so if I'm wrong about this, tell me, and by all means, if I'm wrong about this, anybody who's listening, write to us and tell me about how I'm wrong about this, but... but... Ed George Darden, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, leave Patrick alone. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... They but... can't spell my last name, so it's good. Yeah, there you go. Um, but, uh, but... The lessons that I'm taking away, there's a couple of unique lessons that I'm taking away, and there's a couple of things that that that, that I am considering to talk think about, and that we'll talk about here in just a minute. But but some of the takeaways, they're things I've already learned, and they're things I've learned at yep. shorter distances. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I'm like I'm like that was dumb. So like one of my big takeaways, for example, and this is this is a thorny one, but one of my big takeaways is that I was too bogged down in the time and I didn't trust my running instincts and I have I that's a big one I've always kind of prided myself on my running instincts that I can get in a race and I know how how hard it's supposed to feel like I can get in a 5k and I know what a 5k is supposed to feel like regardless of how fast I'm running Right. Do you oh, know what I mean? Says, yeah, right. I, I just know it. And there are times when I'm in, when I'm fit and, and it says one thing. And there's time when I'm less fit or I'm on a hillier course and it says another thing. And that's fine because I know what it's supposed to feel like. Um, and and I'm normally very good about trusting those instincts. In Chicago, I didn't trust my instincts as much. Um, you know, we, we, we held back in that first 5K mm-hmm. the way, the way that, that, that everything says that you're supposed to and the way that I advised a lot of people to do because there's so, such big crowds and there's so much hype there when you're still in the loop. So we held back in that first 5K. And then I kind of started looking at my watch and, and my stomach was bothering me. And I was like, well, no, I have this time that I need to run. So, so I need to start hitting these times. And, and as opposed to listening to my body and running the effort that I knew was the appropriate effort for... for a marathon, I, I was pushing harder, saying that this is what I needed to run, and that was dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, that's a yeah. lesson I knew, but yeah. but I ignored it, much to my peril, and that's one of the reasons why my race went went so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of relearned the lesson of listening to my running instincts. Yeah, you know, but I but I learned it in the marathon context, <laughs> and 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 I, I guess it's important to say, okay, well, I've learned that. As far as half marathons go, now I know it for marathons. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I knew that for for I learned that the hard way in Ironman. Now I've learned it the hard way in a marathon. Good. So hopefully, you know, if I have another bad race in the future and I have big takeaways from that one, that won't be the difference. Is right. I'll trust the instincts and, and not pay as much attention to the clock. Um, and and I think that was particularly important for me too. And this is actually where it gets thorny. That was particularly important for me too because I had had the compromise build. And I had had the rough two weeks, and I was I woke up not feeling great, and so I needed like I should have adjusted my goal. I mm-hmm. shouldn't have been I shouldn't have been saying oh well I still want to run, you know as fast as two thirty one. I still want to run under two thirty five, um, given the way that the things had gone. I should have just said okay let's go out there and let's 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 run what the day gives me, um, and I didn't do that, um, and and 
but it becomes thorny because it's it, at what point do you actually say I mean, because you can't readjust your goals during the race necessarily, right? And you definitely don't want to be standing at the starting line going, oh, well, I don't feel so good, so oh, maybe I'll just... You know, you can't do that. Right. Because then you're just kind of making bargains and you're wimping out. And so, so it's, kind of a, it's kind of a tricky thing, and I think this is something I'm going to kind of continue processing, and maybe it's something I need to do a few more marathons before I can really kind of wrap my mind around it totally in the marathon context. But, but so at, at what point do you say, okay, I need to adjust my goals because I'm not where I thought I was going to be? Right without saying, oh, I need to adjust my goals because this is really, really hard. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's really hard. It's a marathon. You know, so, My legs hurt, yeah. Yeah. It's going to uh, happen. Yeah. Oh, there's three miles to go and there's no way I can... No, I mean, obviously, everybody hurts in the last <laughs> 10K of a marathon. Um, and so, so yeah. So, I mean, it's something I've got to kind of continue wrestling with, I think. Um, but Yeah, and to speak to you, to you specifically, um, you know, it's so interesting because you talked about how your goal was 231 originally. And holy smokes, you were on fire for that in June. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, right. it was you were absolutely. For those of you who don't follow George on Strava, I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, I could, I know, because I was trying to keep up. <laughs> um, and let's just say our conversations weren't like this one. It was usually him talking and me just breathing heavily, trying to keep up. And then, so you almost anchored in that two thirty one. Yeah. And so then you did adjust to give you credit, mm-hmm. but the problem is you were adjusting from that anchor of two thirty one, as opposed to almost. Starting from scratch and saying, right. "All right, where am I right now?" Right. But then, he, as you said, it, it's a really fine line between knowing where you are on that specific day and what mm-hmm. the race looks like for you at that given time. Not, right. "Oh, I can run this time based on this workout I did." Because, as you know, and as you've said many times on this podcast, and I'm sure via hundreds of conversations, it's not about, "Oh, I did this workout, therefore I'm in this shape." Oh, it's yeah. what does the overall body of work look like for the last four weeks and the last twelve weeks. Yeah. And what does that say about me? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the experience is the big thing. Just because even the long runs don't really simulate the race of a marathon. No, I agree. Um, you're just... You, the, the fuel intake's off. You don't have the adrenaline. And you're not doing near the pace in a long run that you do in a, in a marathon. And it just can be so helpful to have that mental database of races where you say, okay, well, this race, it was extremely hot. And so this is how I adjusted and here's what happened. Or I didn't adjust, right. and here's what happened. Right. You know, you... Um, and I don't think it takes a ton of races to do that. No. I, th- I think that, that... So, because I because I definitely can look at... Um, I definitely can look at, like, my Ironman career. And I and I, I did five Ironmans. So so it's yes. not like I've done 12 Ironmans, like all the legacy folks have, or 20 Ironmans. Like, you know... I mean, there are people who do five Ironmans a year, and I've done five Ironmans in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but but I can look back on them, and I can say, okay, I learned this, I learned this, I learned yeah. this, and I think about what I learned yeah. in those races. Yeah. Um, and I think that, really and truly, I say I've run five marathons, I've run two. Yeah. Yeah, you because know, those three that I did... Well, way let's back say you've day, run really five, count. but you've raced two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, big difference so, between the two. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and... The, the story of my first three marathons, like those three that I did when I was in my 20s, each one of them has kind of a funny, funny story to them that I won't bother telling right now. But, um, but yeah, but as far as being like, okay, I'm targeting this marathon, I'm trying to peak for it, I'm building my training around it, I've done that twice. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a little bit embarrassing to admit um, because I, cause, cause I think I am pretty experienced and pretty thoughtful. But then to say, well, yeah, I've, I've really and truly raced two marathons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I need, I need a few more under my belt. But I'll get one next April in Boston. If That's I, right. If, if, I, if I continue continue recovering well after that, um, I'll uh, I'll do another one probably late fall. Uh, I was talking to somebody this morning about that, but 
But yeah. So let's talk about... Okay, so so speaking of taking things from your marathon, there's a couple other things I want to talk about. So you just mentioned simulating and training your running. Mm-hmm. And I know that when you and I were trading email prior to, to this, and we're like, okay, what are we going to talk about? Let's talk about these various things. One thing that you said you want to talk about was Elliot Kipchoge's training journal. Yes, the Michael Jordan of marathon running. Yeah, for those no, of you who aren't dude, familiar. I, I've, I, uh, I need to order my Elliot Kipchoge poster to go in my pain cave alongside yeah. my pictures of Mo Farah and Emil Zadopek and Steve Prefontaine um, but, uh, and Meb Kofleski. Um, but Elliot Kipchoge, the, the, he's, run, he's run nine marathons. He's won eight of them. The Olympic champion, he ran two flat 25 uh, in the Breaking Two project, um, one second a mile. I just couldn't give that. I know, extra right? Of effort, um, the the so certainly in the conversation for the greatest marathoner of all time, undoubtedly the greatest marathoner of the last five years. Yes, right. Um, and so he uh, won the Berlin Marathon a few weeks ago uh, on September twenty third, um, and there was a lot of hype around that. Or they were going for the world record, that sort of thing. He didn't end up not getting the world record. Ran two hundred three thirty about. Um, and and two or three thirty is just you know stunning. Uh, you know again like about thirty seconds or so off the off the official world record, which was also set in Berlin a few years ago, um, by Dennis Cometo, who was at Chicago, who's in our race, who mm-hmm. didn't really run all that well. But anyway, he had a bad race. See, bad races happen. Yeah, it's, just, it's <laughs> but, a theme among good coaches. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but wait a minute, uh, I didn't run so well. Let me take that back. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, so so Elliot Kipchoge. Um, there was a guy who trained with him and was around him and has basically published a pamphlet, about a 35-page pamphlet, about Kipchoge's training. Uh, And included in it are the last five weeks, or five of the last six weeks, leading up to the the Berlin Marathon. And so we got to see what it is that this brilliant marathoner does. Um, And a few, several things stood out about it. And I'm, I'm going to let Patrick talk about it here in just a minute. Things stood out to him. Um, but but a few things specifically stood out and then a couple of his particular workouts. One is that he ran up and down hills a whole lot, despite the fact that he was training for a flat marathon. Um, there you go. Two, he ran off-road all the time in, like, rainy, messy, nasty stuff. Um, and so he was constantly running uh, on soft surfaces, constantly running up and down hills. Um, and I'll pause for one second. That's a big deal to me. Me too. I, I, I and, and so many times I, I feel like folks are like, well, it's cold, it's raining, it's what it, it could that could happen on race day. You got to do what you got to do. Oh, yeah. And your whole goal with training is to insert a stimulus that your body will respond to. Mm-hmm. It will respond to a long, hard run in the cold rain just as much as it will. Absolutely. <laughs> in nice, perfect weather, you can't wait for the the perfect day because you know. Back to our original discussion, you only get one marathon. Yeah. So, well, my wife and I have joked that like when you. When you have a bad run or you have a miserable run or something like that, you finish it. It's like, okay, your body doesn't know the difference. Yeah. The, the, and, and we could quibble about whether your body actually does know the difference and, and it, it might know it a little bit. But, but one way or another, you finish the workout and, and it's there. It's, it's, it's in your system. Um, but then the other thing that stood out, and I think this is probably something Patrick wants to talk about. Um, there were two kind of prevailing workouts that he had. Mm-hmm. One was short repeats that were fast, yep. at like five k pace or better. And and he's a guy who spent some time on the track and 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 was in the Olympics in the five thousand meters and ten thousand meters. And so he has a background in, in the shorter races, like most marathoners do, um, and and like both of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so he had a lot of like short, fast things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then he had these these multiple runs where he ran 40K, so 25 miles, not at marathon intensity, but fast. Not even at half marathon intensity. Right. Or, well, obviously not half marathon intensity, but 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 fast. Right. Almost like a tempo effort. Yeah. Um, but at the marathon, yeah, so sort of a steady effort, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, he ran them at about 520 pace. <laughs> which is like 220 marathon pace, which, you know, that's pretty incredible. But you're talking about a guy who can run 203. Mm-hmm. And so so he's essentially running, yeah, these the sort of like long, hard runs mm-hmm. of 25 miles. Yeah. And he did like a few of them. He did, he, he did like two or three of them uh, in that last five or six weeks. Um, and so clearly... So, so clearly there's this, there's, this, there's this balance between this super short, fast stuff and this really long super marathon specific stuff, mm-hmm. which I just thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I think it gets back to the point where the goal is not so much to have this progression, but it's to say, all right, what physiological response do we want to initiate with this workout? Right? It's like with the short, fast stuff, he clearly wanted to put in a high volume of speed work and build up his aerobic capacity, right? Mm-hmm. And build up yeah. his ability to run quickly at a sustained effort for you know a long period of time, and to make marathon pace feel easy, right? From, and to from, make from, and to, from, from a mental place, but also from a physical place, right? Because it almost it's almost like increasing his top speed allows then that eighty percent effort to be mm-hmm. much higher, you know, indirectly, right? And then second, and this is always the big one for me is those long sustained hard efforts. Mm-hmm. Those are the hardest physiologically and mentally too. Mm-hmm. Because those are the runs where you're halfway through thinking, you know, I could stop right now <laughs> and still be kind of proud of myself. Because Which is kind of like a marathon, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is not a bad time, not a bad workout, but then you keep going anyways. Um, yeah. So that to me was two of the things that were very interesting that he did training-wise. Yeah. Because, like I said, there wasn't a progression. It wasn't, you know, a 5, 10, 15 kind of you know broken up into nice easy chunks it was very much all right when we are going to practice speed we're going to move very fast yeah. all right when we're going to practice distance we're going to run very far right there was no yeah. in between yeah you know no I, and I, I thought that was very interesting too now now we should we should we should sprinkle in a word of caution here to say that that we don't know what his training looked like in the 15 weeks leading up to that yeah and we should also say this is one of the greatest all-time marathoners. And so, so you shouldn't just download his training to you. you know, like neither Patrick or I are suggesting that you should go out tomorrow and do 25K at you know, 15 seconds per mile or, or, or 30 seconds per mile slower than your marathon pace. We're not suggesting that. But, but, but it is kind of striking that that's what he does um, and definitely kind of fuels some of my reflections for things I want to try and do as we start, you know, as, as we recover and then reload for Boston. For example, one thing I will not be incorporating into my training <laughs> schedule is he had no taper. Yeah. That was crazy to me. Yeah. Um, if there was one thing I do well as a runner, it's taper. <laughs> um, you know, long runs, speed workout, eh. But taper, that's one thing I do very well. Which, which is and, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, because I felt like, because I, I did what you did, and it was in part out of, out of necessity because I was so injured um, that, that I tapered much more sharply and much more aggressively for this race. And, and it might have been too much. Mm-hmm. I also got sick, but anyway. Yeah, but I think what that speaks to is his overall ability to recover in a way that is, yeah. you know, 
I mean, superhuman to the rest of Extraordinary. us. Extraordinary. And that also explains his ability to put in 120 miles a week, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we, mm-hmm. we may see the training schedule. We don't see what he's doing for recovery. He may spend right. another two or three hours yeah. doing recovery treatment every day. We don't know. Right. We only see the training part. Right. And then the other part he, that he I... Almost, he, in fact, I would submit that he almost certainly does. Oh, for I, sure. And I, and, I, and I think that's what... That's one of the things that truly separates pros from not pros. 100%. Um, is... is, is how much time they spend on recovery, whereas the non-pros have to go to work. Right, and that, you know when you when you have your kind of I call them sports center sports friends that you know maybe they mm-hmm. played baseball growing up or something, and they watch like all the Nike commercials mm-hmm. and they they'll talk to me and I'm like, look, training's only half the battle. Right, you're not seeing all the recovery that Kobe does after every basketball right. game. Um, you know that that's a big deal. And the other big thing that stood out to me this wasn't necessarily about the training schedule, but this was about the commentary. Is apparently he is one of the most inflexible human beings yes, I saw that too. on planet Earth, <laughs> and I just got to say, score, yes. score one for Team Inflexible. <laughs> so for those of you listening, if you were to wander onto the lakeside track at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday, and you see two dudes that can't hardly touch their knees, that'd be me and Mr. George Darden. That's right, Doctor George Darden. Oh, there we go. Sorry uh, about yeah, that. Yeah. Wait, and P- PhD in inflexibility, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And now, why is that? You, you do a good job of explaining this. I know you've touched on this before, but no. Well, so I, I think that the so I think there's a lot of reasons why 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 we're inflexible, and 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 I think that 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 um, I think there's some physiological reasons, and I think there's some cultural reasons as well. Um, and I, and I think and to start with the cultural ones, I think that that it's kind of what we're joking about right now. Yeah. That that people see, oh well, George is a pretty good runner, and Patrick's a good runner, and and they're not flexible, so hey, doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, um, and and I think that 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 culture of not being flexible, it's related to that culture of not going to the weight room, um, mm-hmm. is is something that that is very powerful, um, and it keeps runners during those formative years when they're in high school and college from spending time increasing flexibility and all that sort of thing, um, which I think that that now at age forty three, I think haunts me much more than it did at any other time in my career. Correct. Um, I mean, I, I and. There's a degree to which, and this is getting to the second point, there's a degree to which I might actually have been faster as a result of not being flexible mm-hmm. in the past, um, but, um, but that now means that I'm not, uh, that I'm injured more, um, or that I'm, I'm on the edge of injury more. And so, so I, I can't help but wonder, okay, so I have these really good PRs from when I was in my 20s, um, my early 20s, um, and... Now at age forty three, I'm taping it together, mm-hmm. um, and so would it be worth it to have maybe slightly slower PRs, but still be able to to run healthy now at age forty? I don't know. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's that's not a question that can be answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would answer it differently at age twenty three as I would answer it at age forty three. You know, so. But anyway, but then the other thing, of course, is that that that, that muscles and tendons and all that thing are like rubber bands, mm-hmm. um, and if they're tight, if there's more tension in them, they can they can contract more more powerfully. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of research on on uh, particularly explosive things like um, like high jump and things like that. That being less flexible means that you are able to, to contract more powerfully. Yep. And therefore um, go farther and faster and higher. So so yeah. So there might be a time in my in my life where because my soleus was so tight, that meant that my push off with my foot was more powerful, and that meant that I was able to run faster. Yeah. 
Um, now, and that also meant you had more endurance because then you almost absorbed more of that impact. Yeah, once you hit yeah, the ground and yeah. shot it right back up. Exactly. The exactly. Yeah. Whereas whereas now now that tight soleus is something that I'm I'm that's pulling on my Achilles and and compromised my goal for Chicago. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I mean. Elliot Kipchoge, yeah, super inflexible, even more inflexible than I am. Like literally, they should. There's a picture of him like putting his foot on a chair, and like putting his foot on a chair. That was a test of his flexibility. Yeah, <laughs> and the chair was like a foot off the ground. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was not yeah. a high yeah. chair or anything. Yeah. Um, Bar stool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, so so, yeah. Whereas, yeah, if if, if I were, if I put my my leg on a table, simply getting my leg onto the table, that is the stretch. Like oh forget about like bending over and touching my like putting my face on my knee or any of that garbage. Um, yeah, that's just <laughs> painful to think yeah, about. No, whereas he's literally putting his foot on a chair, like a low chair, a stool, and uh, and it and that that that's a stretch to him. Yeah, I mean Ron Clark, um, you know, all-time great distance runner from from Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, back in the day, um, he was a contemporary of Emil Zadopek, who. Evidently, I'm trying to bring up Emil Zadopek as many times as I can during this particular podcast. But um, he uh, he once said, "The only time I ever got injured is when I stretched." <laughs> so, so yeah. it's probably anyway. said that while smoking a cigar yeah. too. So, so yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, clearly, clearly, like our next podcast is going to be about stretching and flexibility because I imagine that if anybody has made it past the hour point with us here, they're they're probably going to be uh, asking us about that. But anyway, mm-hmm. George Darden, not Patrick Ollander. Yeah, yeah. That's O L L I N D E R. Yeah. Um, so okay, so here's the here's one other thing I want to make sure we talked about. Okay. Um, and this is something that I, I was talking about with an athlete that I coach who ran at Berlin okay. um, and had a rough race. And then I was talking about it with uh, with Caitlin Burris, who you know, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, she had a really good race at Berlin. Yeah, she crushed it in Berlin. Yeah, yeah. Um, Twenty minute PR. Can you imagine how awesome would that be? Gosh. Anyway, um, so so, uh, yeah. Hey, you did the inverse. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Cosmically, uh, that twenty my, my twenty minutes had to go somewhere, so everything yeah. went to Caitlin. Thanks, um, appreciate it, Caitlin. Enjoy your new PR. Uh, anyway, um, uh, it's like Garfield used to say: when you lose weight, it, it it goes out into the ether somewhere and has to land somewhere, and so it lands on you know somebody. Somebody, else. Yeah. yeah. There it is. So, so that that twenty minutes that I gave up. Somebody had to take it. There you go, Caitlin. Congrats on your PR. Um, anyway, um, but uh, but I was talking to her about it, and we were talking about the crowds. Mm-hmm. And so Chris, the athlete that I coached that, that said that he had a hard time, um, he had a little bit of a snafu at the start and ended up starting in a crowd that was, that was slower than he was. And he said that he was spending the whole time kind of jumping on and off the curves and on the medians and everything else like that and being super frustrated by it as well. Yeah. Which, which makes a huge difference. Um, and so he's like beating himself up about it and getting mad about it and everything else like that. Um, and by the time he got to 18 miles, he was just done. Yeah. Um, and he really struggled for that last eight miles um, because he said, in his own words, he said he'd been playing Frogger for, for, for 18 miles. Um, and yeah, that would be super hard. And, and, you know, he and I both kind of laughed about, for those of you who run the Peachtree Road Race, you know, you, you can't run a PR or try to run a PR in the 10K starting in Corral T in the Peachtree Road Race. You yeah. just can't. There's so many people out there and they're walking and they're blocking the whole road and everything else like that. And that's great. I love the Peachtree Road Race. Um, but, but if you're going to PR, you have to be up front. Um, and so, anyway... I can't. I've thought a lot this week, in particular the last few days, about the role of the crowds, and mm-hmm. not only the crowds that are cheering, but the crowds of the race. 
And so if you were to take it down like to its most basic element or the, mo- the, the biggest inverse, okay, well, I'm, if you put me on a track and I run 105 laps solo on a track with my stopwatch, that's not an ideal racing situation either. Right. But, but is it possible that Chicago, maybe something going on, is that maybe there were just too many people? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe having that many people messes up your focus or messes up your head or something like that. I was running with Troop Kirkus this morning, and Troop actually said, you know, nothing new on race day. He and I were talking a little bit about this. He said, nothing new on race day. So you train by yourself all year long, and then you go out and you run with hundreds of other people with these screaming fans and everything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hadn't thought about it in terms of nothing new on race day, and I'm kind of thinking out loud about it right now. But but it's like, yeah, you're right. And so that, that that's totally foreign. So up until this week, mm-hmm. and this is what I'm getting at, and I, I want to hear what you have to say about it. Up until this week... I had always thought about the bigger the crowds, the more people to run with, the better you're going to be. Yeah. I'd always thought about it in those terms. You know, and, and I got to do my training with you, and I was better off having somebody else to train with than, than not having anybody to train with, and it pushed me to higher levels, and it made me go faster, it made me stronger. I'm, I'm starting to wonder now, is, is there, is there um, a breaking point of that? Is there a point at which there's too many people, and it's actually going to compromise your race? Now, obviously, it did for Chris in Berlin because he was dodging people and getting mad and all that sort of thing. But, but for me, would I have been better off in a race with fewer people, maybe a few people, but fewer people, and not trying to keep up with certain groups and not beating myself up when people were just rolling past me by the dozen for the last half of the race? Yeah. You know, would I have been better off, potentially better off, in a smaller race? I, don't, I mean, what do you think? So, a couple things. So, it's, it's funny you use the word crowds, because I think it breaks down into two parts. There's the crowd of the, the spectators, mm-hmm. then there's the crowd you're running with. Mm-hmm. So, we'll start with the, the spectators. So, one, I think, that, to use a different example, the, the crowd at Boston, I think, is one of the big reasons why people blow up. Because, it's, for those of you who have never done it, it's like running through a rock concert mm-hmm. for 26 straight miles. Mm-hmm. And by the end, your ears are almost so blown out mm-hmm. You don't even notice that. And that's kind of where you need people to cheer and come mm-hmm. on, buddy, you're almost there, that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And, but people get so excited in the pageantry, they almost yeah. just take off because yeah. they have all of this adrenaline. And even if you run a slower pace, your heart rate's still high. Yeah. You know, um, So I do think that is a thing. And in Chicago, it's almost the inverse. The first 13 miles, mm-hmm. you got people cheering like crazy as you're running up and down like uh, Michigan mm-hmm. Avenue. Mm-hmm. And then you go out in the burbs around 13 or so, mm-hmm. and you'll have pockets like Chinatown, but not mm-hmm. too much. Um, so, See, and I feel like, and it's, I, I read a race report um, that Caitlin Burris sent to me as we, she and I were talking about this, where where the guy who wrote the race report said he had run Chicago mm-hmm. and he had had a good race up until like literally mile twenty four, um, and then thing the wheels fell off for him. Um, but but he had said something to the effect that that he kind of liked the quiet places, be it in New York on the bridges, yeah, because New York is crazy too. Yeah. Um, or or in some of those outer reaches, that far western part of, of uh, Chicago, because it gave him the opportunity to be quiet and check back in with himself. Right. Because you know, that's so much of what we do when we're running. Yeah. Is we're, we're, we're assessing where we are and how we feel and checking in with ourselves and, and okay, what's my body feeling? What am I doing? What, what do I, how do I need to, you know, what micro. I mean, when I train on the bike in there, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm. What else can you do when you're there except for constantly be like micro adjusting and, and you know and thinking about it? And then you get in a race and there's such a crowd and there's so many people around that you're not as plugged into that. 
And I think that might be that might be yet one of the many reasons why I was why I struggled because I didn't plug into that as, as deeply as I normally do. Yeah, and it, it it's hard too because the marathon, it's just it's it's really three different races in one, in my opinion. There's the the first ten eleven miles mm-hmm. where you're you know kissing babies and high fiving people <laughs> and you know you're just enjoying being there, right? It's almost a celebration, and you're almost saying, all right, I just need to make sure I don't go too fast, mm-hmm. right? And then there's that second ten miles where you're like, okay. This is race time. Mm-hmm. This is where I need some adrenaline. This is where I need some crowds. This is where I'm going to hammer home, mm-hmm. you know. And then there's the last 10K where, for me personally, so I'm running like a penguin who left the oven on. Just it's all desperation, like arms a flailing. Who left the oven on. Yeah, just you know, dying, trying to no grace and all desperation to get to the finish line, you know. But that's, where the that, crowds that's, that, that's going to be the title of the podcast, by the way, like a penguin who left the oven on. That's that's what I'm here for. <laughs> give, give the people what they want. Um, you know, uh, and the crowd in the first 10 is almost, you're right, you almost want to ignore them mm-hmm. and kind of be, you know, within yourself and just run your own thing. Or, or at least use them in a, like, in, like in New York, I was high-fiving all the little kids in the first 10 miles. Yeah. And so I was using it in a way to keep myself relaxed. Yes. You know? And like, so I, I could tell you my thing for Chicago was, I went to Purdue in college. Mm-hmm. So every single human being I saw wearing a Purdue shirt, I would yell, boiler up. <laughs> the one I missed was Doug Sindelar, but um, you know, you, you know, you come up with little tricks like that to kind of keep everything relaxed and, and loose. Right. Um, but then when it comes to the crowds, like with the people you're running with, mm-hmm. so I really feel it's it's a little bit like if you meet somebody and they're like, "Oh, I have a thousand friends on Facebook." Well, mm-hmm. good for you, buddy. Like, no one really has a thousand friends. You know, you're not racing with forty thousand, thirty thousand people, however many people are in Chicago. Mm-hmm. What you really need is just a group mm-hmm. where you're like, I don't know what's going on with the rest of these people, mm-hmm. but this group, we're going to stick together, we're going to run together. And that tends to be when I have the best races, when I have a running partner to run with, when I meet somebody at the starting line, as I've told you that story, mm-hmm. and we say, all right, well, we're going to do this pace, and mm-hmm. we kind of formulated a group of five or six, and we kind of could lean on each other throughout the race to kind of you know play off the crowd, ignore the crowd, etc., um, so I really think I'm a big believer that running with somebody, racing with somebody in a marathon, is actually very helpful. And it does. It's not about oh, there's this many people in this race. There's that many people. You know, there's not many people. Mm-hmm. It's more about do you have that close? I shouldn't even say close knit group because, like I said, some you just meet at the starting line. Mm-hmm. But do you have that bond, kind of that internal bond? Where you're like, we're gonna stick together. Mm-hmm. And if this person is at this pace, I'm gonna stick with them, mm-hmm. or I'm not gonna go too fast. And we're gonna do this together until. Yeah. Um, and, and that's and I guess that, and that's very much always the way I've thought about it. Yeah. And I, and I guess like as as I'm continuing to think about it as we're talking about it here, may, maybe like the group was was just um, another complicating factor amidst what the overall problem for me was, and that was trying to run faster than I was capable of running on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, is it that so I ended up getting in with a group, mm-hmm. but the group was too fast, yeah. and the group was running what. I wanted to be running. Yeah, when what, what my goal was too fast, like like, and so so, um, and I think it, it accentuates the problem because you know the first time the first time when I was really and truly said okay, I'm screwed was was around mile eight or nine yeah. when that group pulled away from me mm-hmm. and 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 I I wasn't I wasn't in a terrible place at that point but 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 I was I was just clearly. I was not able to keep up with that group without running really hard. Yeah. Um, and, and they pulled away from me. And then a couple miles later, I see my family, and I stop. 
and I kissed my sons and ended up getting the great photo that, that I posted on Facebook that's like the the one one tangible takeaway from the from the race <laughs> is that we got this great photo of me uh, kissing one of my sons. I don't know which one. Um, one of them. Now, um, I have, I have heard then, folks say that when they saw that picture on Facebook, they knew you were in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody, <laughs> uh, yeah somebody texted me and told me that. They were like, yeah, if George is stopping in the middle of the race, he might not be having a good race. <laughs> and then and then you came by me about a mile after that, mm-hmm. right, right right there around the halfway mark, and just totally stole all my energy and, and ran away from me like I was sitting still. But 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 it accentuated the problem, not you running away from me, but but just the fact that... The, so, so I got in with the wrong group. I let them... I let them influence me to run too fast. And then, of course, as I'm falling apart, just the massive sea of humanity. I mean, I was, yeah. I, was, I was probably passed by 400 people in the second half of the race. That hurts. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, and I'm, I'm glad those people had great races. But, but, um, but yeah, um, that's, that's definitely a, a, it's a different sort of feeling, and it, and it changes your mindset a lot when, when you're getting passed by people by the score and and you're not passing anybody <laughs> and, and, and you have no response yeah that yeah, you yeah, know yeah, there's nothing there and that also you know we talked about wanting to increase kind of that explosiveness that speed yeah. you know part of that is to be able to say all right i'm going to kind of surge here and right, do right. this or that um, which which and that was one of my priorities throughout the course of this year and i do feel as if i got better at that throughout the course of the year yeah um, i'd agree with that but but it but my, my my general ability to be able to do that is compromised by my age, um, mm-hmm. and and um, by my top end speed, which is also a product of my age. Um, but anyway, um, now when, once things were starting to let's say not look good around eight or nine, what were some strategies you took? You know, to try right, to so, mitigate. So at that point, I really did. I did truly modify my goals at that point, but at that yeah. point, you know, the, the the horses left the barn. Right. Um, and so, so at that point, I did say, okay, this had been my goal, and so I knocked a minute off of my five, my per five k goal. And okay. So, okay. Let's try and keep it here, and let's try and do this, and and we'll we'll, we'll keep it under two forty five. Um, and then, and then, between about, uh, between about twenty five k and thirty k, um, so between about fifteen and eighteen is really where like I went to a dark place mentally and just because I was I was slowing down and that and right around there, right around fifteen miles, is where I hit like training pace. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah. And so 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 at that pay at that point I was I was now fifty seconds, forty five to fifty seconds slower than 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 my goal pace had originally been. Um, and I'm running the pace that that I normally would probably run on just like a regular training run, yeah. and, and and of course again people just rolling past me, um, and um, um, and that's when I really had kind of had a pity party, uh, and then right around 30k is where I said all right suck it up, let's let's try and run the best race you still can, let's try and still get under 250, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of I kind of pulled it back and got about 15 seconds for a mile back and kept on doing it, and then around mile 24. And this and this is for reasons I, I don't totally understand yet. Around mile twenty four, um, I just kind of really seized up, and and the last two miles were really 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 slow, mm-hmm. um, and I was on the verge of cramping and everything else. Um, and I don't know if that's because the heat. Um, that's when it really started getting hotter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's because because I was really trained for about a two and a half hour race, and at that yeah. point it was about two hours and forty. I mean, so I don't know if I was just right there because I was. That had been one of my training mantras since I was having to do so much cross training. Was okay. I'm getting ready for a two and a half hour race. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm just getting as fit as I possibly can for, for to do something hard for two and a half hours. Yeah. And so I, so I don't know if I actually really kind of hit that goal. And by the time I got to 240, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was done. Um, that, that, that could be it. Um, I'm not sure. The heat, by the way, it was an issue. Um, partic- I mean, for, for the vast majority of people who ran that race, it was an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I started to feel it in the last couple miles. But for people, for anybody who finished after 1030, so um, it, was, it was an issue. Because it eventually got pretty hot. Yeah, and that would be a three-hour marathon. That would be yeah. a three-hour marathon out of the first wave. Right, and I remember looking at results, and after the top... 150 or so mm-hmm. that's when you notice like these are slower than yeah. the same spot yeah. in previous years yeah yeah so um so yeah it did ultimately get pretty hot there you know it, it was it, it was definitely in the mid 70s by the time i finished um and, and it was only going it only went up about four or five more degrees after that mm-hmm. um but i mean that's hot mm-hmm. yeah that's super hot um so yeah that's kind of what i knew um I didn't know how bad it was going to get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in retrospect, you almost yeah. down throttled to where you should have started, maybe. Yeah. And so then that wasn't quite enough to make up for that. Right. I mean, who knows? It's, right, right. As we said before, the marathon is just a different animal, yeah. and no, I mean, you never really know. That's the hard part. Is there's so much uncertainty? Oh yeah, you know. Well, you know, any any, um, you know, it's it's kind of weird. Like every time I've had a bad race. You, know, you you think about it, and you're like, oh, if I could, I wish I could, I wish I could go back in time. And you almost kind of really sort of wish you could actually go back in time and do it again. And 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 I've thought several times, I would have been so much better off just running with you. Mm-hmm. And just say, say I'm going to let Patrick set the pace. I've been running all my workouts with him. I'm, I might be, he'll probably leave me in the last 10K, and that's fine. Um, but but I would have been much better off setting out to run right about 240, 241, which is what you ran. Um, and, and as opposed to setting out to run um, under 235, mm-hmm. It, at the very least, I would have held it together probably better in that last 10K. It's also worth mentioning here, for anybody who's made it this long with us, right about the same time that I started to fall apart, I was running along, and we turned the corner onto Michigan Avenue, and and there was this guy kind of standing there with like one other person, and he goes, and, and I look at him, and I look away, and I look back again, because I realized it was Rahm Emanuel. Really, the the mayor of Chicago, the uh, the, the former chief of staff, of oh, President man. Obama. Yeah, and I kind of did a double take, and he goes, "Good job, keep going." And I was like, "Yes, sir." <laughs> but, you almost want to stop and shake his hand. At exactly. That point. Yeah, I might as well take a picture. That, yeah, yeah. If if I were to stop, things would have totally. I probably wouldn't have been able to start again at that point. But but I was. But but yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, you know, of, of all the Chicagoy things to happen during the Chicago Marathon, I get to actually see Rahm Emanuel. The only thing would have been better if he would if he would have cussed at me, which would have been kind of fun. <laughs> Evidently, he he uh, he has a very creative four-letter word vocabulary. Yeah, I don't think he ever got his mouth cleaned out with soap, let's yeah, just say that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but anyway, so that was cool. That was cool, too. Mm-hmm. But, um, all right, man, what else we got? Now, would you do Chicago again? Would you recommend it to... I, it, so, it's a great race. Mm-hmm. I will say that. It is a, it is a gra- I, it's a cool course. It's great. Uh, great people. It was well-organized. I, I would do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I had a... The last bad race I had was in 2012 at Kona, and that's... That's actually a pretty good run. Yeah. To, to be able to say, I've had, I've had five years without a bad race, that's pretty good. And, um, and I've said this before, if if you're a third base coach and you make it all year without somebody being thrown out at home, <laughs> you're not you're not aggressive enough on yeah, the base path. Yeah. I mean, same with you. You're gunning for PR, or not PR, but you're gunning for very yeah. fast times. Yeah. I mean, every now and again, things are going to... Yeah. Not turn out as planned. Yeah, and that's and so so I and, and we had a great trip 
And so, so it's funny because when I, when I had that bad race in Kona, I mean, we literally like resolved. We're like, all right, two years, we're coming back. We're having a good race in Kona, and we did. Yeah. Um, and and had a good race and and felt redeemed. I don't feel I I, I need to be redeemed generally, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like I need to go back to Chicago and do it again. Right. Um, and and I don't know if that's because I'm more mature now than I was five years ago. <laughs> I don't know if that's because because. There's just other races I want to run. I don't know if that's because Kona is more iconic than Chicago. It might be. Yeah, Kona, you had to earn your spot. It's a little different. Yeah. I, I had a similar deal with my first Boston. It was like, okay, yeah. I have to come back in. But there's so many, there's so many, and yeah, and I, I think maybe Boston would be the same way. But there, there's so many major, awesome marathons out there that I'd still like to run. And there's some major, awesome Ironmans too, but there's one Kona. And so, so maybe that has something to do with it as well. But one way or another, yeah, I don't. I would run Chicago again, but there's a lot of other races I want to do first. Yeah. Starting with Boston next year. Yeah. And, and I look forward to that. And, and to anybody who hasn't run it, it's a great course. It's very flat, very easy. And more importantly, it is easy logistically. Yeah. It's super I mean, you could almost roll yeah. out of bed an hour before the race, yeah. walk over there with your cup of coffee. Yep. Run the race and walk right back to your hotel. Yeah. As long as you don't have to use the bathroom four times for the race, logistics are fantastic. All right, let yeah. me cut out the coffee then. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, Patrick had had I had, I had texted you and 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 I said you know what time do you want to meet? And you said something like yeah I'll meet you over there at six thirty. And in my head I was like six thirty. The crowd closes at seven twenty. The race starts at seven thirty. That's going to be cut into. And no, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and everybody's it's all super close and yeah it's cool like that. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's a great race, and I would do it again, and I would recommend it to everybody. But there's other races I want to do first. What about you? What's next for you, man? Are you so going to do Chicago? Again? Next for me is Boston, right. and I think next fall I'm going to pick just a quick local race. Me too. I've, I've kind of done the the international stuff. I want to mm-hmm. you know keep doing Boston year after year. That's the race that really brought me back to running. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of holds a special place in my heart. Right but on. then the fall, I think I just want to find a fast, quick one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about my my wife and I resolved 2016, 2017, 2018. We're going to make one big trip to a race. So 16 was New York, 17 was 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 Chicago, 18 will be Boston. And then if I if I recover well from Boston and I'm not like holding it together injury wise going into Boston or anything like that, I'd like to do a late fall marathon. But it'll be something closer. It'll be like the Chickamauga Battlefield Marathon or the... Right. The, That's one I uh, had or, in mind. Or Seven Bridges up in Chattanooga, which is today, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, and so, so, so yeah, um, experience some of these great regional... Mm-hmm. And, and it'll, actually, maybe it'll put to the test my, my question about crowd size, you know. Um, crowd size, and also you talked about the pressure of having to hit a time. Yeah. You know, when it's a smaller race, you're kind of like, okay, well... Yeah. Even if my time isn't right, it's still going to be right. fun. Yeah. yeah. And I think that Chicago, since Chicago is a fast course, I mean, the the, the world records have been run on that course, I kind of felt like, okay, this is my chance to run fast. This yeah. is my one chance to run fast. I'm not going to throw away my shot. Um, and um, uh, and I think that ratcheted up the pressure, too. And it's funny because I'm not used to that way. I mean, if I think about my time goals for all the races I've done over the course of the past 10 years, I probably miss my time goals probably 90% of the time. But really? I'm, but, I, but I'm still happy with the race. Yes. But, I, but I'll miss the time goal. And I, I won't miss it by a lot, but, but you know, I might miss it by a few seconds here or there, mm-hmm. you know? And but, but I'll be like, oh, but that was a good effort, and I won or whatever else, you know? And so, so right. I'm happy with it. 
you know. And you probably um, recalibrate on race day. All right, it's hot. So yeah, I need yeah. And so, so, so for me, so it was really out of character for me to be so hung up on the time and everything going into Chicago. But I think that the, the fact that it is a fast course and it is something that that I was like, okay, this is my big chance to PR. Yeah, I mean that's 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 my big takeaway, man. That that that's it. That's it. <laughs> There's also a lot of hype around the marathon. Our own little community i know you know it's the reason folks, why not, folks reason. were so excited for us it's like I know. getting text messages like yeah. you gotta break this i'm like ah. you, you you delivered i did not yeah. <laughs> yeah all right well thanks for listening everybody patrick thanks for being here hey thanks for having me i enjoyed right. it so so good yeah we'll have to to, to bring you back after uh, after boston maybe uh assuming of course the the people write to us and say hey that was great seeing y'all and not like oh my gosh george you need to give up the mic and let patrick just do it from now on <laughs> Um, so. And to those of you who are wondering what we talk about on our Kennesaw Mountain long runs, this is pretty much it. As long as we don't diverge into like Star Wars and turn to 12-year-old boys again. Then. Which we do regularly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, everybody. And there you have our latest episode combination interview and race report i hope you enjoyed it uh please continue to interact with us on the facebook page uh tell us the stuff that you appreciated or didn't appreciate the stuff you agree with or didn't agree with uh the big takeaways that you have from your fall marathons uh whatever they happen to be or fall big target races if they were ironmans or half ironmans or or whatever they were uh we would appreciate that you can find us on twitter at pleasant podcast um on the blog where we sometimes post show notes at mostpleasantexhaustion.blogspot.com or on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to check out ITL Coaching at itlcoaching.com, uh, on Twitter at itlcoaching, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash performance. Uh, finally, don't forget to use my wife to book your travel. Um, she is booking a lot of honeymoons right now for folks that are getting married throughout the fall. Uh, she's starting to book travel for the Boston Marathon in the spring, as a matter of fact. Patrick and I talked a lot about that. Uh, you can find her on Facebook, k- uh, facebook.com slash kctravelplannermev. Um, you can also drop her uh, an email at Casey, that's K-A-C-I-E, caseytravelplanner at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to go on iTunes and give us a rating and a review. We definitely appreciate that. See you next time.